Episode 50. Jack is a guest on the Your Church Friends podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is my 50th episode, and to be completely accurate, it's not my episode at all. I was recently a guest on the Your Church Friends podcast with Chris and Murdoch, and um, they offered that I could cross-post this to my audience, too. And so they sent me the audio, and here it is for you today. If you'd like to find the Your Church Friends podcast, you can find it at yourchurchfriends.rocks. And you'll also find them on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and several other outlets. So I hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Jurlich. And today we have my friend Jack. He is an online friend of mine who I think several years we've been connected. And we mentioned Dr. Michael Heiser quite a bit because he's had the impact. And um, through Facebook, he had an online group going there. And that's where I had met Jack. And then just through Jack's very well thought out posts, started interacting with him, came across tons of blogs. Uh, He wrote a book that I really enjoyed, Benjamin True. And, you know, just connecting through Messenger and everything there. Uh, but Jack, how about you take a couple minutes? You can introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Well, great. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on. I'm sure we're going to have a great talk. Uh, my name's Jack Pelham, and I'm 58 years old. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida, and I currently live near Billings, Montana. Um, I wear way too many hats to keep up with, and uh, mostly in my fun life, I'm a reader, researcher, writer, philosopher, at least in the the truest sense of, gee, I'd really learn, I'd love to learn to be wise, you know, the the love of wisdom. And uh, so I've been studying the Bible a very long time. I grew up uh, through a couple of different denominations and then been through several things, been in and out of the fire with church troubles and all this kind of stuff. And uh, But the last 20 years or so, I've been studying the Bible really hard. And um, I got really concerned with gee, why is it so hard when I go learn something? Why is it so hard to correct somebody else who uh, has has got it wrong? Like I can show them the data all day long from the scriptures, but why can't they get it? And so uh, actually I got on that in about 2011 or 2012 or so. And uh, it, it, it took me for quite a ride figuring out, oh, um, yeah, people are kind of messed up in the way that they think we're not so good at it. But also I, was missing a lot of the same test questions and thinking, oh boy, you know, what's up with this? I really need to do some soul searching and figure out kind of what errors I'm making. Right. So in that, when you're talking about really thinking through things, I didn't mention in my brief introduction, you have your own podcast, Rethinking the Bible. So all of our audience go and you can really dive into Jack's mind on that one and really start rethinking the Bible in the in the way that he was just saying there. Um and I think that we can do a pretty fun introduction to how we think and and how that plays out. You have a couple questions for us to, to kind of get us thinking. Oh, sure. Yeah. And these are, uh, uh, it's funny, uh, if you talk to Christians about thinking, they'll, they may get triggered saying, oh, psychology, ooh, you know, I'm not so sure about that. But believe me, this all ties in with the Bible. That's one of the things that fascinated me when I started studying it, that, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like some of the Bible writers were, were studying these things too. So anyway, I want to give you a question that's pretty famous nowadays. Maybe you've heard it, maybe not still, uh, but it's just a, it's a rationality, uh, sort of a thinking uh, word problem. And so 
it's pretty simple and I'll read it to you here. A bat and a ball are purchased together for a dollar and 10 cents. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much is the ball? And so, uh, I'm going to repeat the question because it, it normally takes somebody about twice to be sure they understand what it is. So here it is again. A bat and ball are purchased together for a dollar and 10 cents. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much is the ball? So you guys want to take a stab at that one? Yeah, I this one I'm familiar with. So I'm going to pass it over to Chris. And you can <laughs> sure. take a second to think about it, Chris, and see what you get. Because this one is like, I'm not going to forget the answer to this one. So Chris, think about it for a second. We'll see where you land. So my obvious answer is 10 cents, which I'm assuming is right? wrong, right? It is wrong. Yeah, it's, that's the answer I gave. It's what my son gave, what my, my wife gave. And as it turns out, 80% of people say that oh, 10 cool. cents is the... Yeah, right? And so yeah. we're a very good oh, company. Cool. We all mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Right. It's, uh, four out of five people uh, get this one wrong. Uh, in fact, even if you put it in front of a group of Harvard students, uh, the percentage is not that much better even. So this is not really an IQ thing. It's a what kind of thinking are you doing thing. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, the right answer is, well, first of all, let's, let's show why 10 cents is the wrong answer. If the bat and the ball were going to buy them together and it's a dollar 10, but the, uh, the bat costs a dollar more than the ball. Well, if the ball is 10 cents, then how much does the bat cost? A dollar more than 10 cents would be a dollar 10, a dollar 10. All right. So now let's add the ball back in at 10 cents. And what's our total? It's a dollar 20. So we can prove it doesn't work if we just go back and check our math. And that, by the way, is, is the great lesson of this particular problem. Gee, I should have checked my math before I shot from the hip and uh, spit out the answer. And there's some really in interesting psychological reasons why the answer 10 cents might uh, come up in so many people's minds. You know, it could be just the patter of the thing, blah, 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 dollar, 10 cents, blah, 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 dollar more. And then what's the blank at the end? Uh, 10 cents, right? Is that dollar ten cents? Dollar ten cents? Maybe it's that. Uh, maybe it's one of a couple of other theories as to why people say that. Uh, however, uh, we could just do the math and check it. Yeah, that doesn't really work. And so, uh, what it is is the ball is five cents, and then if the bat's a dollar more than that, that makes the bat a dollar five. And if you add the five cents to the dollar five, then we get a dollar ten. So we were able to see each other on camera. And right when you saw that, I saw Chris go, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. Yeah. I was hoping because it's pure audio. No one's going to catch that. But yeah, I was like, even when you were explaining it, that it was wrong. I was like, no, it's still right. Like in my head, yes. I wanted to, to say, no, I'm still right. It's a dollar. Uh, but not until you said it was a it's five cents and it's a dollar five. Did it make sense that that was a dollar more than the ball? Well, it's okay. Yeah. Four out of five of our listeners just had the same <laughs> response to that. <laughs> That's right. And this is, it's really fascinating because some people will be very, very adamant and then like, no, it's 10 cents. It's 10 cents. And then when you show them a good bunch of them, I wish I had numbers for this, but a good bunch will say, ah, okay, I get that. But until you show them, then they don't get it. And then there are some who will remain adamant even after you've shown them the math, which is, you know, kind of scary. But hey, you know, if there weren't hard-headed people in this world, uh, we wouldn't have a bunch of the 
troubles we have, <laughs> right? It's really interesting. I became a perfect example of your whole introduction of what you said <laughs> you were. You're like, I love uh, rethinking things and explaining things to people, but some people just don't get the answers. And here I was literally the example of that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. So me too. Uh, here's the big irony with me. I was reading this book where I first saw this particular problem. And I'll think of the name of it in a minute if that's important. But I'm in a tent in my backyard. We'd camped out the night before. And I'm on this big quest to help people think better. And so I thought, I'm going to write a book. And, but I wanted to read some, um, some other things. And, and I, I you know, plowed all through the Bible about these things. And I thought, well, let me get into cognitive science and see if there's anything there. And that sort of scared me, too, because, oh, wait, psychology and this whole world of mental health counselors and Sometimes what they're doing is not really science. It's just sort of the going fad of how you counsel people. Well, this is different. These are research scientists who are doing research in the, in the laboratory and in um, you know, clinical research and such. And so they're showing actual facts that they can document that, yeah, we ran this test in front of a bajillion people and 80% got it wrong. Like, okay, well, that, that's kind of reliable. So, so this is not you know, sort of uh, hocus pocus uh, uh, stuff like that. And so uh, this question, it got me wrong. I got this. In fact, I took, uh, we can go over some of the other questions at some point in the show whenever you want. But um, I remember four of these questions that I dealt with and I got three of them wrong myself. And here's Mr. I'm going to write a book to help my friends think better. <laughs> so it was quite the uh, sort of rattling, soul searching kind of like, wow, what's wrong with me? And uh, so that has led to a whole bunch of, in fact, so here's my big epiphany. I think I call this Pelham's Law somewhere, like, you know, going to be proud naming a thing after myself. So here's my thing I named after myself. Uh, it is, I am most likely wrong about many things. That's my big philosophical uh, uh, offering to the world. You know, the thing that Jack figured out. And this is like 2012. To keep that in the forefront of our minds, though, that's a hard thing because we want to be right about the things that we think that we're right about, especially when maybe those are hard earned experiences. We're like, no, I've gone through this. And even to have those things challenge to constantly keep in our mind like, no, I'm, I'm most likely wrong about many things. Um, maybe we can save the other questions for a bit later. I, I want to see how we can take everything that you were just bringing to the intro and maybe start looking into scripture a bit to kind of bring it into that world. Yeah, you bet. And, and there's, as I looked over the, the things I'd written down, uh, I noticed it sort of goes off in two different directions. One has to do with personal authenticity. Are we the same inside as we want to appear outside? So you could sort of hold that in one hand, but then the other hand is just, what are some of the things uh, that you can infer from the Bible that people are supposed to be able to do? with our minds. You know, what kind of thinking can we do? Uh, for example, uh, there's uh, a handful of warnings in there. Do not deceive yourselves. So here's a reasonable question. Does it seem to us, based on those warnings in the Bible, that the Bible writers or speakers expected that we would be capable of not deceiving ourselves? You know, for example, if Jesus says, uh, uh, or any of his apostles, love one another, then could we reason that, oh, they think we're supposed to be capable of loving one another. And so if the Bible tells us to do, you know, uh, be transformed by the renewing, renewing of your minds, well, 
can we deduce then that we should be able to be transformed and to renew our minds and to become mature and stuff like that? Yeah, it seems like it would, right? It's, they're not just saying it for no reason. Yeah, exactly. And so, so I have some of those kinds of things. We can look at that. But I thought if, uh, unless you care otherwise, let me talk a little bit about the, the authenticity, because this really gets at the will of a person and whether I'm willing to show my thinking and to say what I really think and all this, this kind of thing. Let's just start with the first and greatest commandment, because I want to show you that thinking gets brought in um, right away in the most important thing Jesus ever said according to him, the first and greatest thing. And so I'm reading here from Mark 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the one right there. And with all your strength. And so a uh, question, you know, of course, he's quoting the Old Testament here, right? He's getting this out of the law of Moses. And his question is, was that just for people under the old covenant or is that for new covenant people too? What do you think? I'm still messed up from the first question <laughs> that I feel like this should be an easy answer and I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> well, uh, I, this one's actually, this one's not a trick, right? If you, uh, pretty, pretty much every church everywhere will tell you, oh, love, 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 love's like the most important or close to the most important or really high up there, right? And mm -hmm. so sure enough, here's Jesus, you know, our own Messiah and own Savior telling us this is the first and greatest commandment. And of course, the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is very, very interesting. And uh, so he tells us, okay, go do this with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what should we infer from that? Oh, no, Lord, this is impossible. Don't you understand? <laughs> or should we think, well, okay, if he's telling me to do it, it must be possible to do. Right. You know, like when he tells Peter and them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat, they didn't say, oh, that's not possible. <laughs> well, if, yeah, it was very possible. They know how to do that. So, okay, go do it. Right. Uh, here's another question. Was Jesus hypocritical when he said this, or was he the kind of guy who himself loved God with all his, his heart and mind and soul and strength? What do you think? Well, yeah, obviously he, he loved God with all his mind. So right, right. Strength. Okay. Yeah. If he was, if he was hypocritical, we got some big problems with our religion. Right. Yeah. Based on the guy who's not really worthy of that. So I think that he definitely was right. But what you're bringing in on the, oh, that's impossible. We can't really do that. I think that going back to the thinking through things where I see it is that I've heard people say, well, I can't do it fully and completely and perfectly like Jesus. So it almost puts in that, well, I can't do it like he did. So I can't really do it <laughs> rather than the the encouragement and the reality of, well, no, the one who can do it is saying, go and do it. And even I'll teach you how to do that. So, but mm -hmm. it's what you're bringing out. is a very common thing that I, I hear with a lot of Christians is the kind of impossibility to carry out the things that Jesus puts before us. Right. And you know what this brings up in my mind? The one guy gave an excuse, well, Lord, I knew you were a hard man and that you, what you reap where you've not sown or however it puts it. And so I took your money and I hid it in the ground. And uh, the master in Jesus' parable there says, uh, you should have at least put it in the bank so it would get interest, right? I think the guy's attitude was sort of like, well, I knew I couldn't be perfect, so therefore I did nothing. Mm. Yeah, I've never even looked at that, that passage that way, and, which is interesting because that whole story, you know, the I knew my master was a hard man always kind of threw me off uh, with the idea of like, well, God's, God's loving. I know his rules are 
there, but like I w- wouldn't imagine God being that way. And not to put it that way, uh, that sometimes the teaching of God is harder than what we think. Uh, Absolutely. It, it clicked. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think there's a really big divide in Christianity between groups who are more apt to look at this and say, wow, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, I need to go through the fire, so to speak. You know, there's scriptures about that and hard times and, and difficulties and persecutions and I need patience and long suffering, all of this, that God's going to train me, mature me. And then there's the other group that's more like, well, no, we like an easier view of it. Like, it's just all taken care of and you're all good to go and God's expectations for you are really low. And so there is a serious divide. And even people who think, well, I choose side A or side B, they may not be uh, as thoroughly convinced in that way as they think they are. So these are difficult issues to think through and the times don't make it any easier for this, but we can go on, uh, Murdoch, something that you brought up, uh, Here's another question. If Jesus were to do something with, quote, all of his mind, end quote, uh, then could he do it better than we can? Yeah, it's the thing that gets stumped is the, well, he's God, he's Jesus, right? So you go, um, but then you, you need to bring in the the doctrine, the solid doctrine that was fought for hard over the first few centuries was he's fully man, right? is that what he was mm-hmm. doing was as a man. So as a man, when he's doing something with his mind, he's showing, hey, as a man, you know, as a woman, as a human, you can do these things with your mind. So I don't know, I fall between, I, I keep faltering between, no, he's showing me what's possible, but also I will probably not be as good at it as him. <laughs> I guess this yeah. is my honesty of my answer, yeah. Right, and as I watch the looks on your faces when I, ask one of these questions, I can tell also there's like, wait, is this one of those I'm going to get wrong or something? Right. And so which which is, you know, very good and smart that you're thinking, let me think it through carefully. Uh, but, well, uh, well, your, uh, your hypothesis for yourself where like you said, it it was, you get things wrong sometimes. Right. Uh, mine is I get things wrong all the time. So that's why (laughs) (laughs) it's a little like, wait a second, let me think this through clearly. Yeah. It's easy. I'm always wrong. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's funny. Um, obviously, the mind of God is the very thing that all of existence as we know it flows out of that somehow. God created, you know, we, we don't even understand how much he created. And, and so uh, could Jesus do something with his mind better than we can do with ours? Oh, yeah, I would say so. But the second question is the, the particulars of that command are with all your mind. And so my next question is, oh, was Jesus more capable of doing something with all his mind than I am? In other words, like being God, he was able to access all of his mind and I'm not, or, you know, something's wrong with humans where we can't, we don't really have all our minds fully available. And I'm not talking about that thing about, oh, you only use 10% of your brain's capacity. No, I'm not really going there necessarily. But the idea, could you use all of what you've got? Or are we somehow limited from being able to do that? Yeah, I, I guess, again, it kind of falls into like what Murdoch's answer was for the last one, where like, well, he he's God. He understood the brain and the capacities of it way better than I did. So he tapped into things that, you know, we can't. But I, I do think at some part of it, that's the cop-out answer we give. That's it's just easier to default that God, as Jesus, 
understood things beyond what we understood, which is true, but he, I don't think he wasn't telling us something that wasn't possible. Like, you know, that it wasn't impossible, that there is a way. Uh, and a lot of what you have and what we've covered so far is that renewing of our mind. That That's the part that I really like sure. is that when you renew your mind, you're kind of washing out some of the old thoughts or the philosophy. So could I love God with all my mind? Could everything I think, uh, in a sense to me, creates the idea, could everything I think give God glory? And because uh, that's the way I, I love God in a sense is that my actions and what I do is about bringing him glory. Um, I don't know if I spend myself into a rabbit tail of trying to answer the question, uh, but yeah, th that's kind of how I see it. I'm kind of with you on that renewing of the mind, because when I look at Jesus, it's like him versus me in a big way. It's like, well, he was sinless, right? But we also know that he was tempted in all ways. And so his True. sinlessness didn't take away the ability to be tempted, yet he did not sin. So me, where I look at, well, I've fallen and I have failed in so many ways, he does come and say, well, let me teach you, right? So even though he maintains that perfect level of thinking he's saying let me teach you how to have this type of thinking which goes with what chris was saying um again within that um i would say probably have some learning disabilities and need the same lessons repeatedly in order to get there <laughs> um but yeah i think that the goal is to bring us to that level you know to get us to love and i really love that towards like loving god is that we love God with our minds and that this whole conversation right. isn't just a, oh, cool, let's think about the intellectual side of it, but really here's how to love God with this capacity that he gave us. And even what you're bringing out through scripture is as Jesus was doing and showing us to do. So it's a, it's a great perspective that's so often missed. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this particular verse, this first and greatest commandment, links together the word love and the word mind. And it's so easy to find the church who will say love is like super important. That like almost everybody says that. In fact, I don't know if a church who does, doesn't. Although I know of some who may not act like they think it's very important. I don't know. Uh, but if you um, think, okay, I'm supposed to love God with everything I've got. And it's a very interesting question. And, and I, don't, I don't want to go too far down the the trail, but is Jesus telling us here about one thing or about four things? Heart, mind, soul, strength, the way he was thinking, is that four different things, four points for us? Or is this all sort of melded together into one thing? And I'll tell you, I've looked for years and years and years because in my analytical mind, I wanted to say, oh, he's giving us four different things. I'm supposed to go do this and then go do that. And the third thing and the fourth thing. But, uh, I've never been able to track down through the scriptures, through word studies and such, any difference in heart, mind, soul, and strength in the way they're used. And it's really frustrating when you try. Like you go to your Bible dictionary and you look up heart, and the first two words it may have there is mind or soul. <laughs> and you look up soul and it says heart or mind. You know, it's this sort of a round robin circular thing. And so if there's a difference, I've never really been able to track it down. And I think that what's going on here. I think, is that Jesus is saying, look, I want all of you. Hmm. Whatever's in there, whatever's part of you, I want it all. You know, we could talk about the human will. We could talk about the intellect. We could talk about our knowledge, about what wisdom we've gained. Yeah, I want it all. Love me with all of that, all of what you got. And this reminds me of the widow who uh, was uh, lifted up for giving her two cents. It was all she had. And it also reminds me of the other 
parable we were just talking about, these servants who had been given things to invest somehow, the talents to use, and um, they were all expected to use what they've got and, and make more. It didn't. The point of the story didn't seem to be, well, only the guy who was given the most really counted. Everybody else counted. And so this idea of, okay, well, I've got a mind. Now, maybe I don't understand it very well, or maybe I don't know how to use it very well, but this is supposed to be part of my religion under Jesus. And so that's, it, it's easy for it not to be that way, right? So this idea, this is why I love to start with this verse, because it ties together love and thinking. And now what does all that mean? Okay, well, that's, you know, we could take a long, long time going through all that. And I don't understand all these things myself either. But this is why I wanted to start uh, with this. And if if you guys don't have anything further on that, I can move on to the next. What I what I really liked, uh, it, it was what you said, the uh, Jesus wants all of you. Yeah. Uh, so here we're having the debate of like, can we live up to the standards of what Jesus did, right? Uh, and, and last night I was talking about this um, at church, but like where when Jesus or where God came and chose Abraham, um, he chose him out of that culture and he didn't pick like the perfect person. Uh, Abraham still had many flaws and mistakes, uh, but he, he went into Abraham and uh, like uh, the way I, I guess it makes sense is he invaded uh, where Abraham was at and then chose to use him. So for us, it's the same thing where he, when we come to him, you know, it's not that all of our thinking gets corrected right away, but he's invading us where we're at and working through us in a sense to, to hopefully get to that, that point of like, oh, now our thoughts are like, yeah, they're, they're we're loving God with all of our mind. Yeah. I think that, um, God totally understands we're going to mess up. Sometimes the last ones to figure that out is us, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, we, uh, we haven't mentioned the, the term cognitive bias yet. It's sort of like a, a thinking shortcut um, that's a, sort of a mini program that runs uh, a bias. Like if you were to say all Italians are thieves. Well, no, that's not true. Now, if you've watched the movies, you certainly know about some Italians who are thieves, right? Because <laughs> that's just like every movie, yeah. every TV show. Okay. Uh, but certainly not all are thieves. And if we go around thinking that, well, that's what we call a bias. It's a shortcut that's not going to be accurate all the time. And so when we get into this stuff, we will have lots of biases about it. And one of my favorite biases is this one. Uh, it, if you're somebody were going to say it out loud, it goes like this. If I were wrong about this, I would know it. Yeah. Right. Because most of the stuff we're wrong about, we oh, I didn't know I was wrong, <laughs> right? Okay, so we're just not always going to be aware of that. And so you know, we, we make tons, tons of mistakes. So I wanted to talk a little bit about authenticity. You remember that one passage of Jesus, it's in Matthew 12 somewhere, and Jesus has uh, locked horns with the Pharisees, which happens from time to time. And it just says this little one-liner, it says, but Jesus knew their thoughts, right? And these are guys, you know, these are famously on the record as, being making a show outside, but what's going on inside? Jesus constantly was getting that. What's going on inside of you? You know, you guys do this, that, and the other thing, but really inside, right? And there's so much we can look at that. And the, the very first story in the Bible, uh, once you get out of the Garden of Eden, is in Genesis 4, and it's about Cain and Abel. And I just, this story is just such a goldmine. There's so more, much more in it than I have been able to mine out so far. But let me just ask you this question. Uh, you got Cain and Abel. They're both give a sacrifice to God. And which one was approved? It was Abel. 
for some reason, we're not told much, but that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, not with Cain's. But which one would we say is more authentic as a person, Cain or Abel? You'd want to think, well, it's probably Abel, right? Because God approved of him. And I would agree with that. And yet here's Cain going through the outward motions. He's making a sacrifice, just an offering, just like uh, Abel is. So on the outside, could you really tell? Well, no, but if you read the whole story, in fact, you can go read, there's a lot of extra biblical uh, writing about um, Cain too. And you can read, boy, he was big time into cities and power and greed and pleasure and all this kind of stuff. And so apparently he's just going through the motions in the beginning. And uh, yet there's this, this phrase about going the way of Cain. <laughs> like, no, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And Cain sort of becomes the poster child in the Bible, sort of the, the progenitor of all things evil. Uh, in fact, there are hints. In fact, I just wrote about this this morning. There are hints that Satan was involved in or behind or a co-conspirator in the stuff that Cain was doing, particularly the murder. And that's very interesting if that proves to be true. There's some hints in the Bible about it too. But uh, so Cain becomes this sort of poster child, this image for ungodliness throughout the whole Bible. And yet he's a smart guy. He's thinking he can build a city. You know, we know he got that done somehow. And so he's got, you know, mental capabilities, but what's going on on the inside? And so there's a great verse that gets brought up a lot about thinking in the Bible, but it's got a context that rarely gets talked about. And I'm talking about Proverbs 23, verse 6, and it says this. Uh, in, in the middle of it, you'll recognize the one-liner, uh, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. But listen to mm-hmm. the context of it, okay? Uh, this is uh, Proverbs 23, verse 6. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. I have to think about this for a couple of minutes because I think it's basically it's setting a scene like you're at the guy's house or at his his feast or banquet or something. And the guy's like, here, eat and drink. But he doesn't really mean it. He's a miser. That's the greedy, stingy sort. And what he's thinking in his heart is not with you, even though what's coming out of his mouth seems to be with you. Like, you know, you're welcome to have all this that you want, but he doesn't really mean it. Can you guys relate to Uh, somebody like that. I run into one Mm -hmm. every once in a while. He's sort of on the greedy side. And so I love this uh, passage, although it's right in the middle of this tiny little parable kind of setting. But the idea that, oh, as you're thinking, that's who you really are. And I think we can see that in in the Jesus versus the Pharisees episodes, where he's always getting down to the heart of the matter with them, what's going on inside. And they were not excited about that. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, here's one we could talk about uh, in Matthew 23, verse 25, and he's really letting them have it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, uh, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, and then I love this. Here's instructions. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. And he goes on with more of the same kind of language but he actually tells them what to do. He's not just fussing at them. You bunch of idiots. You're, you're losers. You're done. It's all over. He actually tells them what to do. And then some of them we know actually did it. You know, Paul comes out of the school of Pharisees, right? 
Yeah, within that, just, I mean, all of this is under the branch of authenticity, kind of what you're talking about, right? And sure. um, it is so easy within Christianity, or I don't know about, I'm saying so easy, it can be easy to just change the outward to fit in. You know, you yeah. start changing any of the behaviors and you can start changing your language. You know, you can pick up on things and, oh, here's how I respond in this situation. Here's what this is. And you end up in the situation like what you're saying with the Pharisees is that you, you've washed the outside thing and not the inside thing. And what we've talked about several times already here is like cleaning the inside. So much of that is cleaning your thoughts that when we're looking at what makes you authentic and that's um, right. that verse in Proverbs that you brought up. And I like how you're linking all of these things together because in Proverbs saying as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So it's to be authentic in your thoughts because your thoughts are going to drive the outside and as you've shown in Cain, you can have a set of thoughts and do a separate action and then you end up pharisaical and, you know, just this whole image that you're building. Um, so, yeah, how important it is that for any of us as Christians to follow this instruction that you're saying, this is instruction from Jesus saying first, first clean the inside. And so much of how even I can default to this is, oh, cleaning the inside, I need to clean up my sin. I need to clean up my issues. I need to clean up, you know, any of those things that are wrong with me. But I don't immediately link those things that are wrong with me with being my thinking is what's wrong with me. You know, that's not the really the most immediate thought. So um, just how you linked all of that together is really good because, yeah, I do believe that there are even other scriptures that point to if you clean the thinking, the rest will kind of follow with that. It's kind of like a, the Sermon on the Mount where, you know, we have the Ten Commandments and it's the like, you know, don't commit adultery. But Jesus is like, no, the thing is the lust. It's what you're thinking. You're looking at something and it's what your imagination is doing that causes the action. So kind of like uh, what Murdoch is saying, we we generally go to like, okay, I'm in this faith, what do I do next? And the what do I do isn't necessarily the thought of uh, what do I change about how I'm thinking, but it's more of how do I change the actions that I'm doing. So we, we, we go straight into like, how do I stop doing the thing instead of like, well, how do I re-change my brain so that I no longer desire to do the thing? Okay, wow, we could just stop right there because that is like the biggest point ever. Because now we're we're getting down deeper than just the superficial thoughts and words and calculations and planning for the day and writing it down and making a list down to the very will of of the human. What do I want? What's my fundamental disposition? What kind of person am I? Even things that may be deeper than words. And so, uh, you're Chris, you you just nailed the heart of it right there. There's a passage. This is not in the Sermon on the Mount exactly, but uh, this was on my list to look at. Let me just pull out a little. This is from Matthew uh, 15, you know, 7 through 20 or some somewhere in there. But the one verse I wanted to pull out, Jesus is getting on to them again about uh, this is the whole talk about what comes out of the mouth. It's what defiles a person. Well, mm -hmm. what comes out of your mouth was what was already in your mind or in your heart, you mm -hmm. know, as they would mm -hmm. say. And then verse 19, very specifically, for out of the heart come, first thing, evil thoughts, and then murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. Both those last two have to do with truth and falseness, right? Falsehood. And so those are thinking things because a lot of what our brains do for us is try to help us determine the reality of the world around us. 
oh, let's go to the park. Well, we can't. Why not? Well, we don't have enough gas in the car. Well, how do you know that? Well, the gauge says it's on empty. Ah, but we know that cage is broken and I filled it up yesterday. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Okay. That's, that's different. Now I understand the truth of the situation better, right? Or, or if you're trusting the gauge when you shouldn't, oops, you're going to learn, figure that one out the hard way, right? Okay. So this is what our brains, or at least one thing they help us do and, and very well is figure out what's the truth of the situation. And yet what if my thoughts are evil or what if they are ill-informed or what if they're hasty? What does it say? It's not good to have zeal without knowledge nor to be hasty and miss the way. Mm-hmm. Or there's even Solomon chimed in on this, I think, when he said, uh, the first to state his case seems right until another comes along and questions him. Yeah. I've brought that in a lot when I'm listening because, man, there's so much out there in terms of Bible study and different things. And I say a lot that, say there's a question that I've had in Scripture, and Mm -hmm. I hear somebody presenting an answer on it, and I've come to the point of saying, that makes sense, but I think it makes sense because that's the first reasonable answer that I've gotten to that question. I don't know enough to actually refute it. And in the past, when I was younger, more immature and things, I might have just taken that and ran with it, going back to that hastiness of, oh, cool, I got the answer. This is what I'm going to start telling everybody, right? (laughs) Rather than going, okay, now I at least have a ground to work with and study deeper into, well, what can actually refute that? As you were saying, uh, Solomon brought up that he sounds right until somebody comes and questions it. So I've had to come to that, especially within Bible study, because it can be so much you have these frustrations, you're trying to find something and then somebody presents something, you go, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> let me work with that. So again, the thinkings, and I like that you brought up that it's not just, okay, out of the heart come the evil thoughts because we can think, oh yeah, the only thing wrong is when your thoughts are wrong, but you brought up ignorance and you brought up haste, uh, being hasty and that these things also can just lead us astray of, of missing information, being too quick with stuff. So just kind of taking it beyond the, oh, well, you're just thinking wrong things or evil things purposefully. There's There can be more to that image. So you just said about a million things and, yes, they're, so, and they're so good, <laughs> right? And it's hard to, I was, I was going to stop you at some point and say, just stop right yeah. there and say that 10 times you over. You don't need to address so all of that. You that's just yeah, what, Exactly. Yeah. Well, no, my, my point is this, that um, it is that all encompassing Jesus is interested in everything. He sees your thoughts. He knows what's going on in your head. Well, how come we don't bring more of that out and say, okay, well, I'm thinking through this. This is a hard situation. Thinking about this part and that part of that. How come we're not just like, you know, open book kind of people, but we will often rush to a conclusion based on something that maybe not all that rational, maybe not all that honest or responsible. I have this thing, by the way, as I was trying to figure out, well, how do we think and what, why do we make mistakes? Why are we so hard to correct when we're wrong? And I thought, well, you got to call this something. And so I settled on a, I don't know if a brand name is exactly the right thing, but the term reality-based thinking, that I know I could base my thinking on biases or hatred or feelings or, you know, whatever, but could I learn how to base it on what's real? Uh, and, and when I say reality, I mean um, things as they actually exist, as opposed to our attitudes or wishes or thoughts about them, you know? And so what, what's really happening? Can I put my finger on that and figure that out? And with the scriptures, obviously it's so easy to get stuff wrong. You know, that one example that I love is, um, 
what is it, John 21, and this, this discussion between Jesus and Peter after, after the resurrection, and um, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Third time, he asked him, right? And people say, aha, see, he asked him three times. Well, why is that? It's because Peter denied him three times. See, aha, I'm smart. I understand the Bible. Well, and I used to love that. And like you said, Murdoch, I used to tell people that and, you know, and kind of proud of myself. But then I got looking in the Greek one day. I'm like, wait a minute. The first two words are one Greek word, agape. Uh, Peter, do you agapo me? And um, he's like, well, yeah. And, <laughs> and then the second time, do you agapo me? Yeah. Um, well, he says, I'm your friend. I phileo you. I have you know, warm affection for you. Not exactly the same, depending on who you ask, is agape. So the third time, Jesus turns to him, but he doesn't say, do you agapo me? He says, do you phileo me? So it's like he's saying, hey, Peter, do you like do this very best thing of all for me? And Peter's like, well, you know, I, I'm your friend. And Jesus asks him again, and the same answer, I'm your friend. Then Jesus says, Peter, are you my friend? And then Peter kind of breaks down that, Lord, you know all things. You, you know I am. And, and, and he, I think he was right. I don't think he was, you know, there was no guile there. There's no error. But he's, man, he's, Jesus is really digging into his heart to get down to the bottom of, look, we're about to do this big thing, and it's going to cost you a bunch, Peter, and are you sure you're with me? And this, this sort of wholehearted thing, you know, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. One good question is, do I want somebody in my mind like that? Jesus, would you get out of here? You know, I'm tired of having you look over all my thoughts and, and examine everything I do. You're watching me like a hawk, you know? And uh, I think it takes a lot of maturity to get where you're sort of willing for somebody else to come in and rearrange the furniture in your mind. Yeah, I, I like that too, because it ties back to um, with that scripture you brought up where he was talking to the Pharisees. Uh, he knew their thoughts. Yes. And you see that often, like, even in other situations, like he knew their thoughts. And I guess because we kind of correlate it with the Pharisees that uh, his response to their thoughts was very rebuking, harsh in a sense. Sure. That that's why we're like, oh, I don't want that in my mind because I don't want the rebuke all the time. Uh, but there are other times where, you know, if we kind of just read it differently, that those rebukes aren't as harsh as maybe they're more loving and saying like, hey, yes. uh, put this together, make these connections. Because, yeah, then you do see a... Uh, Pharisees that do change, like we talked about Paul, but there's also um, Nicodemus uh, who right. became a follower, at, although during the lifetime of Jesus, it was more of the secret follower, uh, but he still uh, started, you know, the rewiring, you know, pulling those pins out, putting them in different positions and allowing Jesus to kind of do that in his brain. So, yeah, I, I just, I like everything that you're saying uh, because it's just, it's really like um, a connect the dots picture going on here for me right now in my brain. Right. Like, I don't know what the image is and you're putting all the dots together and I'm starting to see it in, in, in a bigger way. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. And within this, we've done a lot of I think this is still all under that topic of authenticity that you're talking about. Right. Because it's all about sure. our internal thoughts, who we are with ourselves, who we are before God and really trying to bring that to integrity and, and good thinking and well thinking and, and righteousness. But um, I think that what you also as you've gone through your studies brings us out beyond just our own internal thinking and then bringing our thinking into interacting with the world right 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the lines I, I came up with along the way was, uh, what could be more you than how you think? Hmm. You know, like, like you see somebody in a great jacket, you're like, oh, dude, that jacket is so you, right? It's in that sense I'm talking, well, what could be more you than the way you think habitually? And uh, there's something to that. Now, recently, as I've continued to learn more, I'm like, oh, what could be more you than your will? You know, the things you want, the, the, this very deep bottom level, fundamental who you are, what's your disposition. And of course, but that, that controls your thinking a lot. In fact, there's a great uh, quote from Charlotte Mason, who was a, um, about 100 years ago, a, a British educational philosopher. And she said, that something like this, uh, the human intellect or the intellect serves at the pleasure of the will. And so this is a really great point to make before we go forward. Suppose Joe's reading the Bible and, you know, the Bible says for him all the same stuff it says for all the rest of us, you know, assuming the translation's good enough. Well, what's Joe going to get out of it? Well, doesn't this really depend on what kind of a guy Joe is? Hmm. You know, maybe Joe is already predisposed and he's an atheist and just looking to find fault. And he says, well, flood, no, that couldn't be a flood. That's so improbable. That just couldn't. And so he wants to go off on something rather than to try to understand, well, what's the point of the flood story, right? He's Because he's not that kind of guy that wants to care about it. Or suppose that Joe is deeply indoctrinated with some certain um, religious camp and is thinks everything outside of what he's been taught must be wrong or either unimportant. Well, so when he comes across something in the Bible that he's not familiar with, what's a guy like that going to do with it? He's probably going to blow it off, hand wave it away. Well, I don't know about that, but let's go on. You know, it's, it's almost like uh, Michael Heiser would share about some preacher who would get to, what was it, like First Peter 3 or something and say, well, let's just skip this chapter because he didn't know what to do about it, right? Yeah. I remember that yeah. story. I don't remember the passage. And so what we bring to the text with our own minds, what kind of person we are, what's our disposition, how willing am I to have God in my business and involved in what I believe and how I think and what I want, uh, that's going to make a big difference on how I actually listen to the Bible or understand it. And then the same thing you were saying, Murdoch, that well, yeah, I've got a question. Look, here's a guy with an answer. Great. Uh, you know, like, here's water. Why shouldn't, I, why shouldn't I be baptized, right? Here's a guy with an answer. Why shouldn't I believe that? And uh, of course, Philip was in, Philip did the right thing <laughs> to go get baptized. But not every guy with the Bible answer has a great answer. And, you know, this has been so much the story of my life these past few years is just checking off the ways I would explain a passage one by one, like, okay, that was wrong. And, oh, the next one wasn't so great either. And you know, keep refining as you go until you maybe hopefully finally get where you understand something really well. It's uh, the one thing I'm really, I, I just really liked right there was that, that we bring our own will into reading the Bible. So we're looking for it to answer life my way and yes. answer the questions that I want. And when we go into that, that's where we're not, I guess, thinking properly, right? We're not letting it rewire us. Instead, we're we're rewiring the Bible to fit my my desires. It's a who was it? Is it Jefferson? Who uh, the Jefferson Bible, where he cut out all the things oh, he didn't like, right? Right. So that's what we're doing in a sense. Sure. The easiest thing to do is nothing, 
You know, the easiest <laughs> thing to do about the Bible is just don't pay attention to it. Uh, that hard verse, well, just I skip past that to get to the next verse, mm-hmm. right? It's just so easy to do, and we can do it not even knowing that we're doing it. Uh, it's it's very, very common. Let me read a, a verse, what Jesus said, again, to some Pharisees. They're just the most fascinating conversations. Uh, this is in John 7, verse 24. He tells these guys, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Mm. What can we infer from what he told them? Were they capable of judging correctly? It seems like he's telling them, hey, this is what I want you to do, but also here's what's getting in the way. You're just looking (laughs) and what you first see and how you think things look uh, is getting in the way of you looking at it correctly. Well, right. And do we think that he thought they could judge correctly? Mm -hmm. Think so. Yeah. Why would he tell them to do it if they couldn't? Aha, uh-huh, it's a trick. You can't, right? Well, I suppose yeah. some, somebody might play a game like that, but I don't get the impression he was doing that. Maybe I've got it wrong. Here's another one. Uh, Luke 12. Again, I think this is uh, Pharisees, if I remember, remember right. Uh, Luke 12, 56. You hypocrites, uh, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? They were supposed to be making judgments about whatever the context of this was, and yet they weren't um, making these judgments. This is some sort of moral issue here, judging right and wrong, and they could have been doing that, but they weren't doing it. And so he's getting on to them, how come you're not doing the math? How come you're not running this, you're not processing this thing, you should be able to get this one right. And then even Paul brought this into the Christian camp later. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5, he says, writing to the Corinthians, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And so to me, this seems, when you put all this together, it's like you're painting a picture, wait a minute, God expects me to have my mind in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be like my, uh, I'm actually thinking through as I hear the scriptures, and thinking, you know, okay, he said this, and then he said that, and then he asked a question, it was rhetorical, and what was the point, mm, you know, and really doing my own processing rather than what I think is so popular in our meme culture, our hearsay culture, just to repeat stuff other people said. And that is just, it's just so easy to, well, I've always heard that, you know, blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but have you even thought through it, you know, even at all? Mark Twain's got this great quote about that, and um, I want to look that up real quick because I'm clicking around to find it for you. Here it is. This is from his autobiography in 1907. He says, in religion and politics, people's beliefs and convictions are in almost every case gotten at secondhand and without examination from authorities who have not themselves examined the questions at issue, but have taken them have taken them at second hand from other non-examiners whose opinions about them are not worth a brass farthing. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't know, a brass farthing is a really, really a cheap coin. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know either. I, that's why I looked these things up. The dictionary is my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, he's saying, look, it's just a hearsay culture. And we go around repeating answers that we just hear. Oh, I've always heard this. And so here's Paul saying, look, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And our culture is not even very 
capable at judging things for ourselves. In fact, one of the things our culture has done is to take the whole um, Matthew 7 from the Sermon on the Mount and cut the whole thing down to the first two words, judge not. Judge not. not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> judge not, period. I'm going to jump in again with just a whole bunch of thoughts on all that stuff because my brain sure. just always fires off. But um, yeah, our culture isn't one that thinks through things. I can look a lot to just we don't really teach our children to think critically. It's kind of a lost skill and it's not getting passed on. It's kind of one of those things that you need to take upon yourself. Right. And you 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 mix that with because it's not taught and it is such a hearsay culture. I think that for myself and for us and for, you know, all of our listeners is to just really take hold of this thought. So much of what is being said has not been thought through to its end. It's just been passed on. And we ourselves need to take the responsibility to judge correctly, like you first brought up, right? And that is a responsibility. And you said earlier, the easiest thing is nothing. And what we're called to isn't just the hard things of discipleship, like, oh, go and face persecution, but Mm. also the hard thing of, no, 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 train your mind as thoughts come in, as you're coming across these things. And, you know, to be Berean, as the scriptures would call it, go and study out the thing. And I remember being in, in Bible school, and one of the projects that they had us do is take a passage of scripture and go through. And I forget what it was. We had to come up with like 50 questions about these couple verses. <laughs> and just go okay. through and question it and question it and question it and question it. And it's good to have questions of these things. And I think that as I've gone through these exercises, and I've said frequently that with so many different denominations and with so many different ways of thinking and going back through Christian history and realizing we've thought a lot of different ways about these things and to just get so locked into one way and then just spread rumors that that is the only way and to get so bold even as to say like my denominational way is the only way to God even and to shut everything out. I really want everyone, and I need to keep reminding myself, I live in a culture where people will repeat as though absolute truth things that they have not themselves sussed out. It is my responsibility alone to examine these things through to their end as much as possible. And I think that going back to that as much as possible, and Chris, you were talking about it as well, just kind of coming out of the darkness and the ignorance, and I'm paraphrasing you in a different way. but. We can't see what we don't know that we can't see, but we need to trust God that as he's trying to teach us a lesson and give us a different point of view, (laughs) that he will illumine us to these things if we will actually take the time to to let him speak into it. So I know that that was a lot, but I'm just kind of going through my own learning experience as well as we're having this conversation. But yeah, I I guess the root of that is it's our responsibility. (laughs) We live in a culture that we need to say, I need to take responsibility for this thing. But do you understand how radical that is, what you just said? I wish it wasn't radical, (laughs) but yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, I think it's right. I think that's the proper way to see it. I think that's what the Bible is completely behind this. But uh, that those are pretty radical words. If you were to push that into a bunch of churches, you'd get pushed out pretty quick. And uh, that's just such an important point that I am responsible when I started trying to flesh out this idea of what would reality-based thinking look like, uh, three themes kept coming up to my mind. So I I picked this little three-word tagline with reality-based thinking. It's honesty, 
which every Christian should easily say, well, yeah, okay, that's like all over the Bible. And then the second one is rationality. And that one's a little scarier, uncertain what that's all about. The Bible doesn't use that word really. And then the last one is responsibility. Mm. And even the responsibility part's pretty radical these days. Uh, Probably not so much a hundred years ago. People were probably better at understanding, well, a man's got a role in this world, you know, this sort of thing. Um, And I don't mean to get into like male-female roles or anything, but just the idea that your life sort of meant something or you had a place or some honor about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But today's culture, you know, big money's being made off of trying to teach people to be irresponsible uh, or to cash in on the ones who are irresponsible, you know, all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so there's lots of lots of influencers going this way and that way that making money off of our own mistakes that we make our own bad judgment and such. But uh, the idea of honesty, rationality, and responsibility, these I think are all really good Bible things, but I might get some pushback on that word rationality and what that means uh, in, in simple terms is, am I seeing things as they actually are? And that's what that bat and ball question was. Well, I have a strong feeling that the answer is 10 cents. Yeah, that's nice, but it's not the right answer. I mean, don't mean to diss your feelings, but you know, it's just not the right (laughs) answer. And so when I realized I had gotten that one wrong, uh, that hurt my feelings too, you know? Uh, but I, obviously I went the right way and went with the demonstrable right answer rather than, no, I've, this is the way I was taught. This is what I'm going to stick to. I'm going to defend it to my death, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I really been enjoying this and I, man, I hate to be the guy who has to do this right now, but we are uh, running out of our time here. Uh, so we got probably like two minutes left. So Jack, uh, what do you want to sum up for the audience just within that two minute time frame? Um, no matter what you think about God, he's better than that. Mm. The most un- misunderstood man ever to walk this planet was Jesus even though his name's on a bajillion buildings. And you cannot waste your time by deciding, I'm going to go through the Bible and think it through myself. Because I think, I think God gets a kick out of that. When a human mm-hmm. being down here in this mess, this beautiful, ugly world we have, decides, hey, I want to be minded in this way. I want to think about, I want to learn about God and focus on what he says in the Bible. And of course, Murdoch, one of the things you said about having all those questions about a passage, I love that. I'm currently in the middle of like 100 questions about Genesis 1. I'm trying to publish that soon. And the point is that when you're asking, that's when you realize, oh, I don't have this answer. I don't have that answer. My answer with this one doesn't fit with my answer for that one. You can't go wrong if you're trying to go for the truth. So honest, rational, and responsible. And that's the way I'd sort of sum all this up. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we definitely have to do this again to kind of finish up the conversation. Oh, let's do. Yeah, this was fantastic. So uh, uh, let me wrap this up. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdlich. And I'm Jack. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening.